as we turn back to Mark chapter 2, whether it's on your device, an app, or a hard copy scriptures. We're jumping into the middle of Mark, middle to the end of Mark chapter 2, returning. But I want to come through the, the side door to the concept of Sabbath of rest, which I think is vital for us in the midst of a time of, of unrest uh, internally and externally. I would say this, most of us have been given, let's say that in quotes, maybe given back in an incredible amount of time this past year, whether that's reduced commutes, certainly less time spent in traffic, whether that's reduced or canceled events or social commitments, whether that's reduced work hours, and for some, unfortunately, that's been reduced all the way down to zero uh, for some part or a majority even of the past year. You know, for me, five to six hours a week at the gym was just given back to me. And maybe you resonate with that. I'm sure we could all make a different list but I think we can make a list and probably find hours, and for some of us, double-digit hours every week that ultimately were not there prior to the pandemic beginning. Certainly, there is a, a give and take also, as many hours have been taken. Example, trying to learn how to homeschool a second and third grader, and many of those hours given were taken right back. And I'm sure you can also resonate with that. And perhaps, perhaps that's the partial answer to the question, why are we not at rest? Why are we not at rest? Maybe that's individual. Maybe that's a, a communal. Restlessness, though, I believe was a significant problem before the pandemic, but I would argue that it's worse today than it ever was before. Even when we find that we've been given so many extra hours, and that should be telling. So how, how are you? Personal inventory, self-inventory. Are you at rest I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a list of, of words here, a first word and a second word, and they, uh, they are contrasted words. And you do a personal inventory, whether you tally it or simply think on it, which list better describes your state of being, your countenance now, the, the list one words or the list two words? Uh, no judgment by any means if you're all on one side that you don't want to find yourself on. Are you at rest? The Hebrew has a word for it. It's shalom, that all is well with my soul. That phrase kind of captures the idea of shalom, a, a holistic peace and rest. So here's your words. List word one, word two, juxtaposed. Margins or busyness? Slowness or hurry? Delight or distress? Peace or anxiety? Trust or worry? Gratitude or greed? Calm or fidgety? Patience or angst? I'm sure I could give you more time, but just in general, does, does list with word one define or describe your life wholly, or is it list from word two? And no judgment at all. I've got a lot of word twos that define my life most days. I'm going to assume that for most of us, uh, we're somewhere on both sides. Or maybe, maybe we lean more to, unfortunately, word twos. I think I, there's probably just a few of you who have, who have mastered this restfulness life. I think word one, the word one list 
is, it describes a restfulness life, and word two is a restlessness life. By the way, restful does not mean staying in bed all day with the covers over your head. You can sleep all day and never be at rest. We agree with that. I'm also going to assume that we all want to have the word one list define and describe our life. And so if it's not true, then we would probably humbly have to admit, I don't know how to get there. How do I make that a regular, a regular shift when those word twos are describing my life? But before we can find a solution, we need to know the problem. Restlessness is not the problem. That's the symptom of a deeper problem. I would suggest this, and I think the scriptures suggest this, that our restlessness comes from unmet desires. We want something deeply and can't have it or don't know how to achieve it. The Apostle James speaks on this in James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? And I would say, unrest. The opposite of rest and peace, certainly. Is it not this, that your desires are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. In other words, you are restless and you are striving. I think we can all resonate whether we are actually quarreling or fighting with others in our life, whether it's within our own household or it's through social media, whether there's actual quarreling or fighting or whether we are suppressing that deeply and yet there's almost a battle raging underneath the surface ready to break out and at times it does break out. I think we can resonate. I, there is good news. Not only is there a solution, but the solution is we don't have to change who we are. We don't have to, let me put it this way, we don't have to deny or resist being a passionate person with deep desires. I think sometimes we, we simply say, well, if my passions and my desires, if something I long for and want are, are what's causing this angst because I can't have it, then I must quell and quench any part of me that has passion and has desire. And that's not the answer. We are actually meant and created to be people of deep longing with deep passion, especially when we are created in the image of God and longing for life in his kingdom and the wholeness that that would mean. And when we don't experience it, have it, or see it both internally and externally, we long for something other. And we don't have to quench that at all. That's a right and deep longing that we are to feel. Better yet, the solution is simple. And as I often say, just because it's simple doesn't make it easy, but it is simple to grasp. And Jesus shows us the way. And you knew I was going to say that. As I've attempted to point out in these recent messages in Mark, Jesus had more to do with less time to do it than probably anyone who has ever lived. If anyone, therefore, had more reason to be hurried, frenzied, anxious, driven, with a high pace and rhythm to life, it would be Jesus. And that's not what we find in the testimony of his life, his rhythms, and his pace. Remember, as we looked at, he's, 
He chose to walk everywhere that he went at long distances. Now, certainly there weren't all the modes of transportation that we have today. We're spoiled. But he could have acquired some other forms of transportation to double or triple his efficiency, his distance, his travel, the places he could have been. And he chose to walk with his followers. And I would argue a slowed down pace of travel and that that time, that journey was vital. Which again is my conviction to the the daily walk challenge for this whole year. One, that we have a long road ahead of us. And I, I need to not rest in that long road and that what could be and what's next month and next season and next summer and fall, but today. Am I present today and am I walking with the Lord today? So I invite you to gain that unhurried pace to life or at least put disciplines in place to attempt that. If we turn back to Mark chapter 2, we see Jesus and walking with his disciples in a slower pace. We looked at this a couple weeks ago. One Sabbath, this is 2.23, one Sabbath he was going through the grain fields and as he and his disciples made their way, they began to pluck the heads of grain and to eat them. For two reasons, we know this is a slower pace. One, they're plucking heads of grain off the wheat stalks, likely, or barley, rolling it to get the raw germ and just have some form of minor sustenance. I I can't resonate necessarily with this. I've seen wheat fields, certainly, but what came to mind for me was walking through the blueberry fields. It's hard to walk fast and pick blueberries. There's a different pace to that, even if you're just picking them to eat them. But you, you, you tend to have to slow down. That's kind of the feel. But even then, my, my, my mind went to blueberry farms all in nice rows. This was a wheat field that literally the Greek says they had to make their own way. There was no path through the field. They couldn't have gone quick if they wanted to. And that picture is so important. Not just, it's not, the, not that Jesus never walked quickly or said, hey, guys, we got to get there before dark. Let's, let's pick it up. Uh, certainly. But at least in this example, and it's a Sabbath day, it's a day meant to be of rest, Jesus counterculturally, upside down again, is out walking in the fields, gathering, gathering food with he and his disciples. And that seems to incense the Pharisees. That's where the story turns. The Pharisees said to him, look, look what they're doing. It's not lawful to be doing on the Sabbath. And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest. And he ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he gave it to those who were with him. And Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. In these two simple profound statements. These last two sentences, Jesus offers rest. He was offering rest by a change of perspective, by reorienting thinking, hopefully then also action. The word Sabbath is the Hebrew Shabbat, which simply means to stop, to stop. The concept of Sabbathing goes all the way back to the beginning of the whole story, back to the first book in the Bible, to God himself, who created the world in in six days, we are told. And on the seventh, he rested, he stopped, he Sabbathed, and he delighted in his creation. And he declared, Genesis 2, 2, Genesis 2, 2, on the seventh day, God finished his work and rested. He declared, Genesis 2, 3, that the seventh day was holy. 
because God rested from all his work. Now, if we know anything or believe anything about God, we would have to conclude he did not need to rest, correct? He chose to make that day a day of rest, therefore delight, of pause, of stopping, of enjoyment, and to set down a principle to be followed of a rhythm. God gives us rhythms in life, and the seventh day rhythm comes right from there. It wasn't prescribed, the idea of Shabbat wasn't prescribed until much later, until the people of Israel were delivered from Egypt, this is Exodus, all the way, maybe thousands of years into the future, in Exodus chapter 16, where it's first prescribed, the rhythm of actually resting, and it's in the context of gathering food, of, you could might say, harvesting a meal. They were delivered from slavery in Egypt. They were in the time of the wilderness early on in that long journey, that long walk. They are grumbling. They are complaining. We had it better back in Egypt. At least we had food. God hears their complaints and their grumbling and provides for them. He gives them manna, which is simply, what is it? They didn't have a concept for what it was. It was bread from heaven, but it came like the dew. I always used to think it rained, like, rained heaven like snow, but it simply appeared on the ground like dew in the morning. And they could collect it and gather it, and it was bread-like, I guess, right? That's what, there's so many images and analogies to bread, to sustenance of what manna was. And God provided that every day. Well, well not every day. Six days, and then not on the seventh. And this is where it's first prescribed. The idea of Sabbath, of stopping to rest. On the sixth day, they were meant to collect twice as much, enough that they would have for the the seventh day so that they would not need to go out on the seventh day and harvest and collect, but instead be at rest. Stop. Be at peace. Enjoy. Receive. It is meant to be a gift. Gathering food and preparing it was considered work. And now you're starting to see why the Pharisees may have been so upset by Jesus, who was out gathering food on the Sabbath. He was harvesting the very specific thing they were told not to do in the law. Now we could say, okay, clearly on the seventh day, if we're going to practice Sabbath, then we just need to eat leftovers. And see how easy it is to just misinterpret the intent We can either trivialize it, we can reduce down this concept and trivialize it, which I think we do today, or we can over-spiritualize it by adding on to it, by extrapolating, by trying to figure out what, what is permissible and what is not permissible on that seventh day. How do we keep Sabbath? The, I, interestingly, the Hebrew scriptures don't provide all that many details. There are some whether restrictions or descriptions on how to keep Sabbath, on how to Shabbat. So over the centuries, Jewish tradition expanded on that to try to put parameters. And they were really good at putting parameters, religious regulations, in order to keep this day holy. For example, just a few. You could not walk over 2,000 steps. So our challenge is off. Our 2021 steps a day challenge is off at least one day a week. And now that I'm thinking about it and studying and preaching this week, I thought maybe that would have been a good rhythm to pause a day. Hold on to that thought. 
You could tie a knot on the Sabbath, but you could not untie it. They specified to that degree. Apparently, I guess, yeah, maybe, maybe untying a knot is a challenge. So you accidentally tied your laces up. You're, you're stuck for a day or got to get those sandals off some other way. You could sew one stitch, but not two. And I'm not sure, you seamstresses would have to tell me how helpful sewing one stitch is. I'm not sure what that was meant to, to do. Maybe keep your pants up or a button on. I'm not sure. You could not kindle a fire. That actually is in the, in the Hebrew scriptures. But what, what exactly does that mean? And even today, modern, modern day Orthodox Jews may not even flip a switch or press a button because that kindles a fire. It's a, a spark happens. So to be absolutely true to the very like, letter of the law, they, they have put those parameters in place. Now, I do want to assume that the heart intent behind all of those parameters that aren't, weren't originally in the scriptures were, were right. I just want to assume that. I know, I know that isn't true across the board. A lot of times we put in rules for our own comfort or power or control. But if we assume that the, the heart intent was at least to attempt to not break the Sabbath, to not dishonor God, to stay in line with him, then even at that very core, they completely missed the heartbeat of Sabbath. The heartbeat of Sabbath was for rest. It was a gift. It was for stopping. Not just stopping work for a day, but stopping so many other things. Stopping worry and hurry. Stopping business and commerce. Just stop for a day. Now, for a people who are on their feet all the time, a walking people, whether they were traveling from place to place or simply just out working the fields or out tending the herds, on your feet 12 hours a day, every day, when you are then told to take a day to sit, that is a gift. If we contextualize this, we've got to think about it, don't we? For we who now often sit 12 hours a day, perhaps in front of a screen, then saying, take a day to get out of that seat and go for a long walk if you want to. Go rest in another way. Rest those eyes. Rest by enjoyment with family or friends. Then that now sounds like a gift, doesn't it? And so, and context was vitally important. That's the heartbeat, the spirit behind Sabbath. It is meant to be a gift. And we see this right from the passage at the very beginning in Exodus chapter 16. There's verse 26. Six days you shall gather manna, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath. There will be none. But on the Sabbath, some of the people went out to gather, and they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? Now, I want to read anger into that. Maybe it wasn't. Frustration or annoyance, I don't know. See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. On the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. By the way, the other five too. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Sabbath is a gift. It's meant to be received as a gift. Not to overemphasize that one line, stay in your place, don't go anywhere, stay put. That's then a restriction laid on. It should have been heard. You don't need to go into the fields and work. Rest, stop. 
I've already proven I will provide for everything you need. Receive that promise. Receive it as a gift. And that's what Jesus is trying to emphasize in a striking way. I think maybe choosing the Sabbath to go into the fields and gather. To say, let's make a point of what this is all about. You're missing the complete heart beat. How come we don't know how to do this? We've had millennia to get it right, and yet nothing's changed. We fail at the same point, the same reason that some of those Israelites went out on the seventh day to look anyway, even though they probably did collect twice as much the day before. They didn't know if they could trust God's word. They had this urge to just do more, to gather, to pursue, to strive. Now, apparently they needed 40 years of bread every day and twice on Sunday, I mean Friday, to learn this lesson, and they still would forget it. Does that mean we're in good company? It just means not much has changed, and we can learn the same lessons that Jesus was modeling, modeling Sabbath, modeling Sabbath by walking, by gathering, by being with his friends, and then teaching what, teaching what the heartbeat of Sabbath truly was. He chose this, this historical account. I think he probably could have picked many, but he chose this historical account of King David eating the bread that would have been in the temple, the bread of the presence, a daily kind of ritual for the priests, and certainly considered holy and kind of off limits. I mean, not only for the priests. So for David to go in and take it and give it to his, his soldiers was was breaking the law. Maybe some would say borderline blasphemy. Jesus says it was allowed, it was okay, because you, you're missing the, the heart behind the gift, the gift of the Sabbath. Now, what does that have to do with, what does that story have to do with Sabbath? Well, may, maybe nothing and maybe everything. He's teaching a much bigger lesson. One, he's claiming again, when he says, I'm Lord of the Sabbath, he's claiming again an authority that, that no man should have been able to claim, only God himself. Third time already we see in Mark, the Son of Man, that title was a messianic title. He, he used the, the image of bridegroom, groom, and, and being husband to, to, to a spouse. He used that imagery, which was God alone. We looked at that last week. And here he says he's Lord of the Sabbath. So he's taking this authority but he's also saying to the religious elite who should have known God's story better than anyone. He's saying, get your head out of the weeds. You're missing the forest for the trees, if you want to use that imagery or analogy. Understand the big picture of who God is and what he has given to his children. You're so caught up in the, the minutiae. What's more important to God? A consecrated crust of bread or the wellness and health of his children? Please try to understand the priorities of God your Father by understanding the whole story. Let the meta-narrative influence and be the filter that you understand the more individual narratives. Please. Was he that kind or was he harsh? I don't know. What's more important, the hands or the heart, the law or the spirit? And to prove this, in the very next passage, the beginning of Mark chapter 3, Jesus heals a man with a deformed hand, and it's the Sabbath day. 
And he says to those who are also still grumbling, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? He's, I think he's a little sharper in his rebuke and his teaching there. Please get your priorities in the right order. He's not saying don't follow the conviction that if rest for you, if a gift for you look has parameters around it, then be faithful. But understand that it's contrary to the heart of God and the heart of the Sabbath to give a gift that you are restless in trying to keep. If every moment of the day you are trying to decide how far can I go, how much can I lift, how, what can I do, what can't I do, without wanting to step out of line, there's not much rest. It's not much of a gift. It becomes a burden. Jesus reminds us elsewhere that God our Father loves to give good things to his children and many other places that God will provide what we need and we are meant to trust him, receive from him, and enjoy him. We can make Sabbath an act of worship as we receive the gift and ultimately give it back to him. We do so in a regular rhythm kind of way by saying ultimately, and we feel this, don't we, which I think is part of our restlessness, that there's always more to do. There's always more to accomplish. So to pause and to rest is difficult for us because we have to push off this feeling of I could be accomplishing something more. And those might be very good things that we're saying no to in order to receive what might be the best things. What does it look like for us today? It is interesting how different it was in their time. For the Pharisees, right, they needed to hear and heed the second part of Jesus' command or his statement. Humanity was not made for the Sabbath. It was not made for the Sabbath Stop over-spiritualizing it by trying to define every step and weight and distance and measure. That's not where holiness and godliness comes from. We today need to hear the first part of the statement. Sabbath is made for us. Sabbath is meant for us today. It's meant to be a timeless principle. That's why we see it at the very beginning. That's why Jesus is reinforcing these rhythms. Because we would say a day off. A day off? Uh, maybe part of a day. I'll carve, I'll carve, carve that out. But a day off a week, no one does that. You get made fun of if you slow down like that. You might be Chick-fil-A and only have lines around the corner every other day of the week. But get blasted on the Sabbath. For those of us who don't actually do work work seven days a week, my guess is that other day we are still striving to accomplish Housework, yard work, projects, social engagements, connections, networking, advancements, achievements, ongoing education, our to-do lists, our book cues, whatever that is. And if it's not us, then it's for our kids. Our kids, if it, they, I can't make them rest. They need to move. They need to advance in the big three A's, the arts, the academics, the athletics. If they aren't pushing and striving in those areas and we aren't helping them, we're falling behind. We cannot simply rest, certainly not a day. We'll rest sometime in the future. We'll, we'll trade Sabbath. We'll redefine it and say it's vacation. We'll redefine it and, and say maybe at retirement, maybe one day in the future I will rest. And we miss then the regular rhythms and the gift of what Sabbath is meant to be.
if we have any excuses, any reasons that are flooding your mind, and of course, I'm just giving the personal ones. Maybe you resonate, but you have your own. Let's be convicted. God rested. Jesus rested. They had some excuses of more demands in their life than we do. More need to accomplish, more people to help. And they rested as a regular, healthy rhythm. I love this excuse. Pastor John Mark Comer said he hears this often. He's a teacher and preacher a lot on Sabbath and rest and slowing down. In fact, I recommend his book, The Relentless Elimination of Hurry. A more recent book by John Mark Comer, drawn on a lot of the teachings from Dallas Willard. I would just highly recommend that. He has a chapter on Sabbath. He said he hears this, this excuse often. The devil doesn't take a day off. And he says, if you haven't read the story, the devil loses. God rests. Jesus rests. Bring some levity. Jesus came in to bring spiritual wholeness. Sozo, that's the Greek word for salvation. And it's not just escaping this world to get to heaven or escaping the fires of hell. That's not salvation in Jesus' mind. That's, that's maybe a small piece, maybe. But salvation is wholeness, is healing, is wellness, holistically. Restoration, rest. That's what Jesus came to bring. That's meant to be received as good news to save us from hurry and worry. We still need it today. Quick principles here. We still need it. It's forever and it's timeless. It's going to take discipline. It, you don't just stumble into it, certainly not in our culture. Even with time given back, it doesn't just happen, does it? We have to plan it, which may mean you have to work harder in the other six days to get to the seventh. We are said, work six days. We are commissioned to that, right? So that you can rest. You may have to create those disciplines to carve out that space and plan it. You may not just be able to say, let's do it this week. It may need to be incrementally built in as a habit. So give yourself time and grace to plan it. Think about as a family, what's one thing that this next week, whatever day you choose to be Sabbath, I don't think it needs to be prescribed as a day. For some, it is going to be easier on a Saturday than a Sunday, and for others, that's flipped. For others, it might be a Monday or a Wednesday, but whatever that looks like as a regular rhythm, what's one step to increase true Sabbath going forward? We want to know true restfulness, peace, patience. I don't think we can trust that God's word is enough. I think that's the core of it, that we need to go be accomplishing and striving and not simply receiving and enjoying him. Can we receive this gift and give it back to him in worship? I don't think we have many disciplines in our life that say to God, through action, I trust you. I trust you. And this one is meant to be so delightful. Receive it. There's others that are hard. This one is to be received. Dan Allender in his book, Sabbath, says this. I hope this sounds like good news as a definition of Sabbath. Sabbath is an invitation to enter delight. Oh, I skipped over. There is a, another way to translate Shabbat, and it is to delight. It's probably a lesser translation, but it's an interesting uh, parallel. 
Stop and delight. I love both of those together, and I think many scholars have picked up on that concept with Sabbath, and Dan Allender does. Sabbath is an invitation to enter delight. The Sabbath, when experienced as God intended, is the best day of our lives. Without question or thought, it's the best day of the week. The day we anticipate on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. The day we remember on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Sabbath is the holy time where we feast, play, dance, sing, pray, laugh, make love, tell stories, read, paint, walk, watch creation in its fullness. And all this is rooted in God who rested. He stopped. He set aside an entire day just to delight in his world. Does that sound good? Does that sound like good news? That that is a gift that maybe the God who has created us knows what health and wholeness is meant to look like in a rhythmic way for us. And we tell him by our lives that we don't believe him. Lord, change our hearts, convict us. This should be an easy one. But help us to trust you and help us to implement your word that we might represent you, that we, we might walk in the ways of Jesus himself who shows us what true life looks like. 